Welcome to the I Have ADHD podcast, where it's all about education, encouragement, and coaching for adults with ADHD. I'm your host, Kristen Carter, and I have ADHD. Let's chat about the frustrations, humor, and challenges of adulting, relationships, working, and achieving with this neurodevelopmental disorder. I'll help you understand your unique brain, unlock your potential, and move from point A to point B. Hey, what's up? This is Kristen Carter, and you are listening to the I Have ADHD podcast. I am medicated, I am caffeinated, and I am ready to roll. I have got such a great show for you today. We are going to be talking about binge eating. A few weeks ago, I pulled my Instagram audience and asked them for podcast episode topic suggestions, and binge eating was one that came up over and over like so many times. Seems that a lot of ADHDers really struggle with this, and I've got the perfect guest on today to talk about it. Becca King is a registered dietitian who has ADHD and works with ADHDers to help them stop binge eating and heal their relationship with food. She's here today to share her expertise with us all. And I just want to make sure before we get rolling to give a content warning here, as we'll obviously be discussing binge eating and perhaps other topics like disordered eating, etc. So I encourage you to take care of yourself as you listen to this podcast. And if now's not a good time for you, just come back to it later when you're feeling up to it. Now, binge eating is something that I have struggled with off and on, but it extensively in my late high school and early college years. I experienced a lot of inner emotional turmoil and I learned how to soothe myself with food. For me, binge eating was mostly a self-soothing technique that I used to feel better. And I think this makes so much sense as an ADHDer with emotional dysregulation who grew up in a family with almost no emotional literacy or language around emotion. I did not have a safe place to learn how to process emotions or learn how to soothe myself. And so binge eating was a very doable coping mechanism for me. Now, ironically, while binge eating made me feel better for a little while, I would then experience intense amounts of shame after binging, which obviously didn't feel good. And so then I would binge even more to soothe the shame that came from binging. And it was just a vicious cycle. I really felt trapped in it. So I guess I tell you this to let you know that if you are struggling with binge eating, you're in a really safe place here right now. This is a judgment-free zone. I've been there. I can't wait for you to hear from my guest, Becca, as she shares all of her wisdom and expertise with us. So with that, welcome, Becca. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I'm Uh, so glad you're here. I'm so glad. I just think this is such an important topic and there's no one else I would rather be talking to about it. Thank you. I very much resonated with growing up in a household that (laughs) emotional regulation was not a thing. Not Um. a thing. (laughs) And I'm so interested as we get going just to pick your brain about that because I do wonder how much binge eating is just a coping mechanism for just like handling life. Like for me, it was almost like survival. Like I had no other way to process my emotions and it was the most comforting thing to me in my life, which is just as I look back, like 
such a tragedy, but also it's like my brain and body knew what it needed and it was just taking care of itself, which I think is beautiful. Yeah. I think we, when we are struggling with binge eating, I feel like we feel bad about it or to carry so much guilt and shame around it. But a lot Mm. of times it is that our, that's our body's just trying to protect us and take care of ourselves. And it's maybe the only tool that, that coping tool that we have at the time and so I think, you know, it's totally okay for that to be our only coping tool and being able to realize like, hey, there are other things I could do outside of this to learn how to cope with our emotions or even for stimulation. Mm. That can be a huge one too for a lot of a lot of ADHDers. Oh my goodness. Yes. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Why don't you yeah. tell us just a little bit about who you are, your ADHD yeah. story, you know, just a little bit and like how you got into helping people overcome binge eating so I was have like the probably the typical caught like woman with ADHD story of like you know I my parents kept me super busy in high school I did well I never really struggled academically and then got to college and that nice structure that I had in place was no longer there and I could barely function and at the time I was struggling with anorexia and then kind of through college, it kind of transitioned more to the binge eating side of things. And for me getting diagnosed, I got diagnosed at 19. And because I was like, there's something going on here. And I was talking to my therapist and my roommate at the time um, had had ADHD. And I was like, we are two peas in a pod. Like we are very similar. We're best friends now. And I'm just like, it's a and I was like, yeah, I think I have this. And I was talking to my therapist and she screamed me and was like, yeah, you definitely do. And like for me getting medicated and getting going through therapy was like finally you know all of the chaos in my brain had kind of you know had subsided and I was able to you know do actually feel like I could function on a day-to-day basis so yeah I had I've kind of my eating disorder journey has kind of run the the gambit of eating disorders and it really wasn't Mm. until I kind of started going through recovery that I was like you know I think I want to be I was in nursing school at the time and I was like taking a nutrition class and I was like you know what I and I didn't get into the second half of nursing school because my GPK was like 0.0 something short of like the cutoff it was minuscule and I still had like a 3.4 GPA which is not bad for college yeah so Mm, it was super intense program and so I was like you know I took this nutrition class and I was like I kind of like that and the professor was a dietitian so I was like I had coffee with her and I was like you know I actually kind of like the idea of being a dietitian instead of being a nurse more because I love food um, in a weird way at the time because I was still kind of struggling with eating disorder so it's like I love food but I have like a weird relationship with food at the (laughs) same time and I think a lot of dietitians we go into the field because we have kind of a weird relationship with food. Yeah. A lot of times, a lot yeah. of dietitians do have a history of an eating disorder. And so mm. I think for me, grad school was really helpful when I got into a master's program for nutrition to be like, Hey, I can have a better relationship with food and kind of, it gave me the chance to kind of work through my food issues. Mm. And it was kind of discovering intuitive eating, which we can talk about probably at some point, but that for me was kind of what helped me heal my relationship with food and once I took my first job, which was in weight loss, and it was not for me, and I was like, I can do this, you know, like I can still, you know, help people. And I was like, this is not for me because they wanted me to see a bulimic patient for weight loss. And what? I was like, this is really unethical and I don't feel comfortable doing this. And it was, they were like, well, we see everyone here, which I was like, this is, that doesn't make sense. Everyone doesn't need to be at a yeah. weight loss clinic. Yeah. 
And so eventually it got to the beginning of the pandemic. I was like a couple months before and my best friend came and stayed with me and from New York City and we both had a cough and we couldn't get tested because it was so early on in the pandemic. So they're like, why don't you just stay home for two weeks? And they passed out the unemployment stuff. And I was like, you know, how about I just don't come back? And they were like, how okay. I just stay home? <laughs> yeah. And they're like, yeah, okay. And I was like, you know, I think this is my sign to start my own like virtual practice because it's like the perfect mm. time because everything mm. was starting to shift to online sort of yeah. services. And I was like, I could do this. And then mm. I decided to get a business coach because we don't learn how to do that in school to be a dietitian. Yeah. And as I was kind of working with her to figure out where my niche was, I was like, I know I want to do intuitive eating. And I was working with a really good friend and trying to figure out like helping her with nutrition stuff. And I was like, oh, both of us have this very similar experience of not eating enough on our medication and binging at night when our meds would wear off. And so I got really lucky. Some A Facebook support group for women with ADHD let me do a poll in their group about what people struggled with. And everyone pretty much said binge eating. And I was like, there's nobody talking about this wow. on social media. And it's like a footnote in research papers for what you might struggle with if you have ADHD. And I'm like, this is a huge thing. Like I feel like risky driving and things like that, which are, are can be dangerous. But I was like, eating disorders are very dangerous. And like we're just like skimming over that you might struggle with this if you have ADHD. Mm -hmm. So I was like, you know, I think I'm going to talk about this. And I remember my business coach being like, okay, I'm like, sure. And, um, and I was like, yeah. You're like, I think what? I it's super sexy to talk yeah. about eating. Come on. Yeah. I was like, hmm, there's definitely something here that no one's discuss like discussing. And I think for me, it's really cool to like make that connection for people that you might struggle with your relationship with food because of ADHD and being able to like make that light bulb go off for people. Cause I think mm. it's so often that we forget that like ADHD does impact every part of our lives and that does include food too. So I think being able to make that connection is huge for people. Wow. Okay. Let's start with the basics. Yeah. How do you even define binge eating? Like how would somebody know if they were binge eating? Yeah. So the definition of binge eating is having recurrent episodes, which would be eating usually a large volume of food in a very short time period. So typically around mm -hmm. you know, like a two hour window of eating, you know, something maybe eating like what someone maybe would eat in a whole day and in okay. a two hour period, feeling out of control while you're in a binge episode. So it can almost feel like an out of body experience, at least for me when I would binge, was binging, I felt like I was like watching myself totally do this, yeah. feeling like you can't stop. And then feeling either like you're eating more rapidly than normal, eating until you're uncomfortably full, eating larger amounts of food, even though you might not be physically hungry. And then eating alone is a big piece too. And then just either feeling disgusted, depressed, or really guilty afterwards. Mm. So, and it, typically happens or to meet like the criteria for diagnosis, you have to have at least one binge episode a week for three months. So, mm. Oh, yeah. that's fascinating. Yeah. I didn't realize that this was a diagnosable. Yes. Thing. Yes. It is a newer diagnosis. I don't want to say within the last like at 20 years at most is when mm -hmm. it had kind of been acknowledged that this was, that this actually is more of an actual eating disorder versus like, oh, someone just eats, <laughs> eats a lot of food, you right, know? Right, 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 And it's a little different from bulimia in the sense that there isn't some sort of con 
compensatory like activity that you're doing afterwards, whether that's like, you know, excessively exercising or purging or using laxatives or something like that. Mm -hmm. You're not doing anything after the fact to like try to counteract, if you will, the binge. That's so interesting because when I was experiencing this pretty much like at the height of it in college, I had this like fear of throwing up. So I would never, ever, ever purge in that way, but I would excessively exercise. And I didn't realize that that could be a classification for bulimia. That's so interesting. Yeah. Because it can Mm -hmm. be, there can be people who do just do a ton and ton of exercise to make up for it in yeah. that sense. And usually yeah. it's like you know, rage fueled or shame fueled exercise. Yeah. Right? It's, it's not, not like, oh, I feel amazing. <laughs> let's go to the gym, right? Yeah. Or let's go for a hike. It's like, I remember one night getting up out of bed. I was living with my parents. I was probably my second or third year of college. And I, w- I like totally binged before bed. And then I went to bed and I laid down and I just felt so awful and so you know, full of shame and self-judgment and all the things. And I remember making myself get up out of bed and go for a run at like 12 a.m. Yeah. Like it was ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, it was just so difficult to not know how to deal with all of those feelings. And it was like, well, I guess I have to go make myself run and like yell at myself the whole time. Yes. Yeah. There's a lot of negative self-talk I think when you're struggling with an eating disorder or even just disordered eating I think there is a lot of of beating ourselves up over Mm. over the behaviors that we're engaging in what do you feel or or what does the research say causes people to binge eat a variety of things so I think for some people, it can be a response to trauma. Mm-hmm. So it, that can be a way of, for some people, especially if you've had like sexual trauma, it can be almost a way mm-hmm. of like really numbing yourself or even trying to gain weight as a way to kind of feel protected. Um, for mm-hmm. people with ADHD, it can be having poor um, interoceptive awareness is what it's called, but being able to pick up on our body cues. So a lot of times it not recognizing that we're hungry until I'm ravenous and I need food like right now. That's a huge one. The impulse control piece. Can you pronounce that again for me? Because I didn't actually hear it. Interoceptive awareness. So being able to just recognize like, hey, even going to the bathroom, I'll use that one as an example because a lot of my clients will be like, yeah, I don't go to the bathroom until like I need to run to the bathroom. And a lot of my clients as well will do that with hunger where it's, I'm not that, I'm not hungry or I don't even feel hunger until I'm, you know, I need food now at this moment. And then, you know, being when we're ravenous, it's a lot harder to make, you know, make good decisions or even make the decision we want to make. Like maybe it is, I want to eat, you know, something more nutrient dense, but I need whatever's quick and easy. So I might grab, I'm just going to grab potato chips because I can just open the bag and eat them, you know, kind of, kind of thing. Wow. I, I know that like you have more in your list of things, but like yes. this one resonates with me so much because I really struggle in this area. And I notice that my husband, he will point out to me, like, I think it's time for you to eat. I think yes. it's time for you to eat. Like, <laughs> I think you're about to get your cycle. Like all, like he is so much more aware and in tune with my body than I am, Yeah, which sometimes is amazing. And sometimes I'm just like, shut up. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. It's true. Like he picks up on my body cues faster than I pick up on my body cues. And yeah. that is wild. Yeah. Yeah. And it is, even if you're not, even if you're not medicated, it can still, cause I'll have people talk about that of like, I kind of talk about the binge restrict cycle of like not eating enough during the day and then binging at night. And even, and people will be like, well, I do that and I'm not on medication. And I'm like, it's, you could totally still have not noticed what hunger feels like, even if you're not on meds, it's just that stimulant meds add that extra layer of not being able to recognize when we're hungry or it's, or it's more of like the non-classical like signs of hunger. So it's usually not like, Oh, I have a growling stomach. It's like, I get a headache or I, you know, my mood shifts and I'm hangry all of a sudden for me, that's it. Like for me, I know if, I get angry at the speed of my internet and that's usually like the sign that it's time to have a snack or eat lunch because I'll be like working and I'm like I'm gonna throw my computer across the room like why is like Canva being slow and I'm like and then I'm like when was the last time we ate Becca and it's like oh it's time for a snack like that's why usually I'm like now I notice it if I get like really irritated I'm like okay just go go have a snack and we can get back to whatever we're doing Okay, back to your list. What else do you think causes us to binge eat? I would say emotional dysregulation is a huge one too, of being able to, it does help with regulating our emotions. Eating for stimulation for a lot of people with ADHD too. So it feels like boredom eating or like I need something. Yeah, is like, I call it the crunch factor. (laughs) (laughs) It's the best. It's the best. Yeah. One of my clients was like, I realized like I have to have a crunch. Some aspect of my meal has to be crunchy or I want to continue to eat even if I'm full. It's just like there needs my bread on my sandwich needs to be toasted or I need some sort of like crispy vegetable or something or something else that's crunchy. But yeah, it is crunchy foods, carbs. Yes and caffeine even like chocolate dr hollowell calls chocolate adhd kryptonite because he's like it's caffeine (laughs) and sugar so our brains are extra happy and i'm like yeah it makes sense um so so, and i would say impulse control too can be Mm. a a piece of it especially with with adhd and it's like all of it combined right it's not like just like one aspect it seems like all of those different things work together to make yeah. us more prone sometimes yeah. to binge mm-hmm. eating. Yeah, it is. The, some of the research is, is that people are about, or ADHDers have about a threefold risk for developing an eating disorder and binge eating and bulimia are the two that are the most common amongst ADHDers. Wow. And so I think all of the diet culture stuff that we have to deal with, in addition to issues with executive functioning and all the things that we've just talked mm-hmm. about, I think makes it that much easier for us to struggle with, with our relationship wow. with food. Wow. 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 Now I've seen you say that if you have ADHD and you struggle with binge eating, it's not because of lack of willpower. Yes. Is that just because of all of the things you listed or like, what are your thoughts on that? I think because especially with diet culture, we get told like, you know, just just, you know, kind of just will yourself, like, just don't eat, you know, just don't, don't have sugar and you won't binge on it or don't keep it in your right. house or just right. avoid it kind of thing. And, and or oftentimes like you really want, if you really want these results, you can have yeah. them. Like, yeah, you sh- oh. you can just, yeah, you can just do the thing and it's fine. And it's like, that's not usually um, the issue, at least for a lot of my clients, it's not like it's, 
they don't want to do certain things. It's being mm-hmm. able to do them or figure out how to cook meals for themselves or have food on hand that they can eat that's quick and easy and nutritious is a challenge. And it makes it that much harder to mm-hmm. kind of do do the things we want to do. It's more, I think, feel like the executive function, the challenges that come with, with yeah. that and eating than lacking some sort of willpower. 100%. So talk to us just a little bit about what you were sharing earlier on how, like, especially if you're on a stimulant medication, you might not feel like eating all day. And then it can make us more prone to binging once the meds wear off. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. So, and I, for me, when I was kind of working through healing my relationship with food, it was realizing that like my body was really protecting me in this, in in this cycle that I was experiencing because I was like oh I'm just you know I'm not eating enough during the day I still ate I didn't really skip meals or snacks I just didn't eat enough at them and then in the evening I would be ravenous and I'm like I need to eat everything now like I'm so hungry and so for a lot of people you might not feel hungry during the day but it is important to still fuel and nourish ourselves or look at those other signs of hunger that might pop up Mm. and a lot of times when we're not eating we might notice that our executive functioning is it gets more challenging to do certain things or to regulate our emotions. And that can be a sign of like, Hey, I might need to eat and that might actually help me. So for a lot of my clients, it is learning some of those non-classical signs of hunger, or even just almost having a little bit more structure and intuitive eating, which is what I teach my clients of having what's called practical hunger. So it's eating when you may not be hungry, but knowing that you need to eat so that you won't be ravenous later. And so I think that's huge for people with, with ADHD, even if you're not on medication, but even if you are, if like, hey, I might not feel hungry at lunchtime, but like logically I know that it is important for me to eat something and nourish my body. And that's mm-hmm. going to help what I call the hunger. I call it the hunger monster that comes out in the evening because <laughs> it does, it just feels like I'm ravenous. I need all this food. And so I think for a lot of people that, kind of understanding that connection or helping people be like, hey, yeah, when I do eat lunch and when I do eat more regularly, when my meds are off in the evening, it isn't um, it isn't as challenging to eat mindfully um, and be able to see kind of the difference that it makes. Yeah. Can you can you talk a little bit about intuitive eating? Yeah. Like what does that mean? So it's a non-diet approach to eating. So there's not as, you know, you're not counting calories or tracking macros or measuring and weighing or doing all of that with your food. It's kind of unlearning all of that, but connecting with our instinct, our emotion and our rational thought Mm -hmm. to kind of be able to trust our bodies in terms of what, when, and how much to eat, which usually it's like, that is the most crazy concept. I know for me, like when I first discovered it, I was like, this is woo woo. You cannot listen to your body. Like that is insane. But I was, you know, I was trying every other diet and thing out there thinking, hey, this will, if I just do this, or if I just restrict things or whatever, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll stop binge eating. And it only fueled the binge eating and made it worse. The more I tried to diet or restrict or try to fix it. And I had honestly, I'd found dietitians on Instagram that were talking about intuitive eating. And that's kind of when I was like, you know, it's woo woo, but I've tried every other crazy thing out there. And I was like, so why don't I try this? And for me, it was like, oh, this is great because it just allowed me to like 
open space to figure out what works for me and what makes me eating in a way that makes me feel good. And it might look different than for someone else, Mm. which I think is very helpful for people who do have ADHD of giving yourself permission to figure out what works and might not be the regular or the normal way of, of eating in a sense. So when you said that it relies heavily on self-trust, my facial expression there is like, that is such a difficult thing for us with ADHD because we have spent, most of us have spent decades gathering so much evidence for the fact, I'm using air quotes here, that we can't trust ourselves. And so do you find that in working with ADHDers, it's particularly nuanced to help them learn how to trust their instincts and trust their bodies because they've spent so long not trusting themselves? Yes. Yeah. I think that is a big piece of it is just building trust that like, Hey, mm-hmm. I can listen to my body or even just connect, you know, with what I know, because really at the end of the day, we're the experts on our, our bodies. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't tell you what is going, you know, what to eat that's going to be enough and be satisfying to you. Like what is a good nourishing meal to me might be different than what it would be for you. And so I think mm. it's helping people realize that of like, hey, you can be, you can trust your body to know those things. It does take time to rebuild back some of that trust. But I think it can be, it can be really empowering. A lot of my clients, it's pretty cool though. Like I start trusting myself in other parts of my life because, you know, and which is like so amazing to me because that's like my favorite quote from the book, Intuitive Eating, is like that building back this trust with food and your body will start transitioning to other areas of your life. And I'm like, and when my clients say that, I'm like, and they don't even read the book. I'm like, yes, you got it. Like, <laughs> when it's so great. It's, it's empowering to feel like, hey, I can, I can trust myself, even after having, you know, decades of feeling like I couldn't. Hmm. So tell us a little bit about what you mean when I think you had a specific name for it, but I don't remember. Like when you just eat because you know that your body needs fuel, not because yeah. you're particularly feeling, yeah. you know, hungry at the at the time. Like t- yeah. talk to me about the benefit of that. So eating eating every three to four hours is helpful for anyone, even if you don't have ADHD, that'll help keep your blood sugar levels stable, which makes it easier to regulate our mood when we have big peaks and dips in our blood sugar. That tends to be when it's harder to regulate our mood and it's harder to kind of use our use our brains. Really, It's a lot harder. And for people, I think that can be a really big game changer of just eating every three to four hours um, to keep kind of keep their blood sugar stable, which can just help with managing symptoms a lot better. Mm -hmm. So for my clients, it's, you know, it is a practical hunger was what we were talking about of just like, yeah, I pairing, basically pairing our logic with our intuition, because I think a lot of people think, oh, if I eat intuitively, if I listen to my body, I'll eat cake or cookies 24 seven, or I won't eat until 6pm, because I'm just not hungry all day, and then I'll binge. And it's like, well, logically, we know the importance of eating consistently throughout the day. And we know that if we don't eat, you, your experience is that you're binging when you do eat. So being able to pair logic, I think, with intuition, I think it's missed a lot of times. It's just at least the way intuitive eating is represented on social media of just like, oh, you just listen, just listen to your body and you can eat, you can eat whatever and you only eat when you're hungry. But I think it is more nuanced than just eating only when you're hungry of yeah. like, yeah, I need 
I, I need to eat every couple hours or, or I do notice changes that some people might not necessarily contribute to hunger of, you know, being hangry, having a headache mm-hmm. or being tired. I remember I did a post once with like signs of hunger and it was like lack of concentration or, and someone was like, but that's already like a thing with ADHD. I'm like, yeah, but it's even worse when you're, when you're hungry, <laughs> even if you're medicated, it might be like, all of a sudden my meds feel like they're not working because I'm hungry and I need to eat. <laughs> yep. I absolutely experience that 100%. Yeah. And now a word from our sponsor. Hey, Kristen here. I'm the host of this podcast, an ADHD expert and a certified life coach who's helped hundreds of adults with ADHD understand their unique brains and make real changes in their lives. If you're not sure what a life coach is, let me tell you. A life coach is someone who helps you achieve your goals like a personal trainer for your life. A life coach is a guide who holds your hand along the way as you take baby step after baby step to accomplish the things that you want to accomplish. A good life coach is a trained expert who knows how to look at situations, all situations, with non-judgmental neutrality and offer you solutions that you've probably never even considered before. If you're being treated for your ADHD and maybe even you've done some work in therapy and you want to add to your scaffolding of support, you've got to join my group coaching program, Focused. Focused is where functional adults with ADHD surround each other with encouragement and support. And I lead the way with innovative and creative solutions to help you fully accept yourself, understand your ADHD, and create the life that you've always wanted to create, even with ADHD. Go to IHaveADHD.com slash focused to join. And I hope to see you in our community today. So interesting. I don't know if this story is super relevant, but when I was in college, I attended a, oh my gosh, this is such a rabbit trail. I am so sorry. (laughs) Are you you into documentaries? Have you seen the documentary, The Way Down? It's about uh, like a weight loss, like a Christian weight loss. Yes. Trigger warning everyone, but also crazy town. Yeah. So my church at the time, this was in the nineties, did that program. Yeah. Yeah. I've had a couple of clients who did it. Oh my gosh. But she was all about, you know, only eat when you're hungry. And so like literally wait for your stomach to growl. And I just remember feeling so hungry, but like, was that a growl? Did I, did it like, it it was so going against logic and intuition because it was like, I knew I was hungry, but this person said, wait until you actually feel your stomach growl. Yeah. And it's like, my that's not a thing that my body really does ever. Yeah. Maybe yeah. some bodies do, but my body just really doesn't. Yeah. And so I just remember like the really wanting someone to help me to like learn how to eat because I knew my eating was out of control and really liking there being black and white rules because yeah. as an ADHD or like, even though I hate rules, when there are rules, I want them to be black and white and I like gray area is tough for us. Right. Yeah. And so having the black and white rules was like, okay, great. Like I'm going to go and do this. And then it was so messed up. Yeah. So, and then <laughs> I was messed up for like decades yeah. afterwards, like so messed up. Yeah. But just like, I love how you're talking about pairing 
logic with intuition. It's not just logic. It's not just intuition. It's both. And that I think is so important. Yeah. And I think, and that's, I think the appeal of dieting to ADHDers is like seeking, you know, I need this, I need concrete rules or like, it's just easier to, you know, if someone's telling me exactly what to eat or how to eat or when to eat, Mm. it's one less thing for my brain to have to think about, you know, but Mm. it's a, a lot of times it's not connected with us or works for us. So then, then there's all the guilt and shame that follows from that too, of like, well, the diet, I can't, I, the diet's not, I'm, I'm failing at the diet when really it's just that the diet is failing us because it's not working for us. You know, it's not sustainable. Usually most diets aren't sustainable long-term and they really break that trust or the way diets are so successful is, is that they try and convince you that, Hey, you can't trust your body. Even if you don't have ADHD, like you shouldn't trust your body. You know, you should trust this plan and these rules. And when, and then when the, it fails, it gets put back on you of like, it's your fault. And that, and it just perpetuates that cycle there. Oh my goodness. Yes. To all of that. So how do you believe that ADHD influences our relationship with food. I've seen you talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Like ADHD impacts every area of our lives. Obviously this would include food, although I don't think that most people think about that. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on that? So I think when I talk about like the executive functioning piece, so some people might really love cooking. And I think it's if it's, you know, I have I always say like for some people it is cooking's really overwhelming for a lot of people with ADHD and then all people be like it's not overwhelming but they're a chef and so I'm like well it makes sense because that's like that's what your brain finds really rewarding okay and like you get a lot of reward out of cooking whereas someone else is like I have to do this task every single day and it has a million different steps and I don't know where to start or you know Mm. struggling with the shopping piece or struggling with the prep piece or just the time that it takes to cook and so I think those things for a lot of people mean that like I might be ordering more takeout than I want because cooking is just too much and I can't think through it so I find that piece for a lot of people yeah is is huge and I think a lot of times too we like put a lot of shoulds with with eating of like mm. what might be more neurotypical things of like yeah you should spend a whole Sunday meal prepping or which is like uh, I like I enjoy cooking but I can't wrap my head around meal prepping and I can't what? intentionally eat the same thing every single day oh, right. and like by day two I'm like I never want to see this again even if it's my favorite thing unless it's like something I'm hyper fixated on where I'm like yeah that I'm loving this I don't intentionally like plan to eat it every single day it just happens but I think yeah and this the stimulation piece too I think for a lot of people there's a lot of guilt and shame around that because it's not something maybe that people have made the connection to of like oh my brain is craving dopamine and food is something that's for most people is easily accessible especially over the past few years of the pandemic and being home more we don't have all the access to all of the stimulating activities that we normally do. And so it might be turning to food more often and feeling a lot of guilt and shame because it just feels like, I don't understand why I'm doing this. And it, and it is just your brain's looking for, for stimulation. So Totally. And then our brains are looking for that 
stimulation. And then we don't have the impulse control to just stop and think like, what do I actually need right now? Like, am I hungry? Do I actually need food? If so, like, let's go for it. But if not, like, how can I meet this need in a different way? Yeah. Or, and I think for me, I try not to demonize it just like emotional eating of like, it's, Mm. it's a coping tool. It's there. It can be part of our, you know, toolkits to get stimulation, Mm -hmm. but what other things can I use? Cause there might be times where that might be the only thing that's going to hit the spot. And it's how do I make sure that it's, you know, trying to make it a mindful experience so that you can maximize the reward or the dopamine that we're getting from that food, but not being like, hey, I can't ever do that or that's bad and I shouldn't do, you know, I shouldn't use that tool that way of being like, hey, I can and it's okay. And, uh, you know, but how can I use it in a way that might feel more productive, you know? I want to stop there for a second because I think that's really important. Like, So many of us, because of all of the messages that we've received from parents and teachers and commercials and society, just we get so many messages that it's like, if you are using food as a coping mechanism, or if you are using alcohol as a coping mechanism or whatever, fill in the blank, then you're bad. You're doing it wrong. And I love how you just kind of neutralized that Yeah, where it's a it is a tool and it is something that works and you don't want it to be your only tool. Yes. Right. But like, it is not something that we necessarily need to feel shame over, Yeah, but we can just like accept how, (laughs) how though, how do we accept that? Like, how do you work with your clients to accepting that? Like this is a viable coping mechanism and it's okay that you're using it. Yeah. I think, there's a principle in intuitive eating called making peace with food. And that is really making food morally neutral. And I think that piece can really help with, you know, okay, yeah, I do eat for stimulation and, and that's okay. But I think Mm -hmm. just for my clients, it's being able to honor our physical hunger or make sure we're eating consistently. And then it becomes easier for them to be like, Oh, I'm recognizing that I'm eating because I'm looking for dopamine or because I'm feeling lonely or, you know, dealing with some sort of negative emotion and I'm using food as a way to self-soothe. And they're like, okay, now just having that awareness mm. is really helpful for them. Like I had a client this week. She was like, you know, I went and I impulsively did go grab something and started eating it and then realized why I was doing it and that it wasn't making me feel good. And so she was like, so then I just had a moment of pause of like, what else could I do? And so I was like, okay, I think I'm, she was like, I'm going to go hang out in the garden for a little while and go for a walk instead and she was like, and I felt so much better. And she was like, even though I still had that moment of yeah. of like maybe a tiny little binge of being redirecting themselves of like, this doesn't feel good and it's not making me feel good. And so I think there's a way you can use food to get stimulation that doesn't always have to lead to overeating or to binge eating sometimes. of like, hey, I know that I'm going to sit down and study or work on this, you know, do work that I need you know, need that little bit of like, okay, I'm going to sit and eat, you know, whatever it is, you know, some crunchy snack or some chocolate or something. I'm going to have a moment with my food and really get, get that and then go, go on with, you know, doing that, that thing. But I think just having that acceptance of like this, this does help me. And that is totally okay. Just like, Mm. you know, using a fidget toy is totally okay to use and helpful of Mm. just being able to build up like, what are some of my other options for when, I'm, you know, looking through that. Usually I have clients be like, am I hungry? (laughs) If you're like, yeah, I know for sure. Then I'm like, go eat. 
And if you're not sure, it's like, when did you last eat? If it's been three Mm -hmm. to four hours, then probably eat something. And then asking yourself, you know, if you're still, if it hasn't been three to four hours and you're like, I'm not hungry, but I have this urge to eat of what might be triggering that, whether it's emotions or Mm -hmm. like needing dopamine and then being thinking of what can I do to fulfill that? And if it's food, that's okay. If it's something else, that's okay. But just keeping the options open. It's just like, it sounds like you're just really helping people to gain awareness without judgment. Yes. Like just lots of awareness and intentional decision-making. And if the decision is to eat, great. Yeah. And if the decision is to not, great. But like, I think what we so often do is we might kind of wake up in the middle of, you know, like the bag of chips or the the um, package of Oreos or whatever. And immediately shame and judgment yeah. is just like present. And which I think for so many of us is just like habit, yes. like neural pathway, just like habit emotions. Like, obviously I have to shame myself. Obviously I have to judge myself right now. Yeah. But then what that does is it makes us feel so awful that the only solution is to eat to feel better. Yes. And so it's just this like vicious cycle rather than if you wake up in the middle of what you're doing and you're like, oh, this is so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm getting curious. Yeah. That's it's like, why is this happening? Like, you know, for me, it was a lot of why in the beginning for me of intuitive eating Mm -hmm. was like, why did this happen? And And it would be like, oh, I didn't, I missed my afternoon snack or I waited too long to eat or I'm, you know, feeling lonely or dealing with some other, you know, something Mm -hmm. else and being, just being able to be aware of it and being like, okay, Mm -hmm. so now I can start to identify that that is something that maybe triggers me Mm -hmm. to binge is being able to, even if you catch yourself in the middle of, okay, this is a learning experience for me and learning about my body of, of why this might be happening in that I love to ask myself, like, hey, what do you need? Yeah. Like, in that tone, like, hey, what do you need? Sometimes the answer is, I need chips. It's like, go for it. Yeah. Right? But sometimes the answer is like, I need a hug or I need a walk or I yeah. need a nap or whatever. But I think we don't often, and I think this goes back to self-trust. Like, we don't often check in with ourselves. Yeah. So many <clears throat> of us have been conditioned to dismiss our needs. Yeah. And so many of us didn't have our needs met in healthy ways as kids. And so it feels so foreign to check in and be like, Hey, what do you need right now? How can I help you? You know? So true. And so, yeah, to develop that, like I can ask myself and answer and I'm going to meet the need. Yes. You know? And I just think that's a beautiful way to develop that self-trust. Yeah. And that is, that is a lot of what I that is exact, exact, the exact question I ask my clients is to do mm-hmm. is periodically throughout the day, just even if it means at first setting an alarm to be like, hey, and, and labeling the alarm as what do I need as a way to practice pausing? Because we just get started with our day too. Of like, I need to get going. I need to do all the, yeah. I need to get everything off my to-do list. Yes. I just need to. And that's when like taking care of ourselves is like, well, that's not productive. Cause like, you know, it's like, if there isn't like a nice check box of like, there's nothing else like out external to show that we've done that thing a lot of times. So it's like, okay, I'm just going to keep going and going and going until like I can't ignore my body needs. And so practicing Mm -hmm. just pausing of like, what do I need? And it's not necessarily, like you said, it's not always, Oh, I need to eat. It's 
I need to call my friend. I need to go up and stretch or go refill my water, whatever it is. It's just giving ourselves that moment of pause, I think is really helpful because, and sometimes you might not know the answer. Sometimes it might be like, Hey, I don't really know right now. Um, And that's okay too, but it just helps build that ability to figure out what we do need over time. Mm -hmm. Love it. So much of diet culture and messaging that we've received. And I think, I don't know, like as someone who was raised by baby boomers, like the messaging from parents was also around restrictions. Yes. And I'm curious how you believe like restrictions impact binge eating. Yeah. Like what, what have you noticed and what is the... For a lot of my clients, it's very well-meaning. Like um, a lot of my clients, like we do reflect on kind of what your childhood was like with food and your teen years, like what was your experience with food or mm-hmm. in your household? And for a lot mm-hmm. of my clients, the restriction came from a place of, of a well-meaning place of like, I want you to be healthy or, you know, I want you, you know, sweets are bad. So we don't keep them in the house or even at very young ages, like we're going to go to Weight Watchers together and things like that. And so mm-hmm. it is, it ends up complicating your relationship with food as an adult because it's teaching you, Hey, you can't, I, you can't be trusted around sweets. And so we don't allow them in the house that teaches you that. And then a lot of my clients, it's whenever I got the chance to go to a friend's house and they had a pantry with all of the fun foods, then I, yeah, I would eat all of them because I wouldn't allow them. Or you get to your teen years when you can start driving or you leave to go to college and you have access to whatever you want then that you find like, Hey, I can't control myself around food because you're like, I can now I can have whatever I want. And so oftentimes the foods my clients binge on are the foods that have been restricted from even from childhood into adulthood, or they're like, now that's not necessarily that they're restricted. It's just that they feel a lot of shame every time that they do eat them. So it's called the forbidden fruit phenomenon of, and so it's kind of when parents do this with, you know, sugar is often one, especially with kids with ADHD, where it's like, we're going to restrict sugar, but then it's, increasing putting that food up on a pedestal and making that food super rewarding so when you tell a kid you can't have that you know that's all the kid wants and so then like I mentioned earlier then when you get to you go to a friend's house or you go to a birthday party and you eat all of the sweets and you're bouncing off the walls or whatever and or you get a stomach ache your parents are like see this is why I don't give you sugar and then over time it just builds that relationship where every time I do eat this off-limits food I overeat or I binge on it. And so it kind of conditions us to to that because our body expects that restriction of like, okay, I can only get this food now because it's not going to be available later. So I might as well eat all of the sweets or like, you know, the chips or whatever we're not, we weren't allowed to eat. Let me eat all of it before that restriction comes back. And so our bodies get really conditioned to that and even Mm. into adulthood of like, or if you have food insecurity, very similar experience, if it's not necessarily intentional restriction with parents, but might be for financial reasons of like, when the food's available or here, we eat what we can. And then, and then that like restriction can be imposed. So it can, it's still this similar scarcity kind of um, Mm. mindset there. May I ask you a question completely selfishly? Because as a parent, I really walk the line of like, how do I help my kids eat without shame and judgment and also make good choices and like have a fridge stocked with fruit, but a pantry stocked with like fun foods. And like, how does someone 
not restrict like, hey, two cookies is probably enough after dinner. Like as a parent, do you just have like a 30 second nutshell of (laughs) 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 what I don't want to do is treat them in a way where they're wanting to have the excess, you know, like go to a friend's house and like, oh my gosh, finally. Some of it I think is giving our kids the opportunity to learn how some of those eating experiences are. So sure, you can have more than two cookies and then being able to talk about, you know, how do you feel after you had, if you had mm-hmm. four cookies instead of two of like, oh, my, my belly hurts or, you know, I don't feel good afterwards of having them start to learn those experiences for themselves a little mm-hmm. bit and just kind of being there to provide that space. And I think just trying to talk about food in a neutral, very neutral way, or, mm-hmm. you know, I think it can be really helpful to being like, Hey, yeah, we, you know, what foods are going to give us energy and fuel us and make us feel good and not saying, Oh, we can't have those fun foods, but those things, you know, those things serve a different purpose for us in that sense. So there's, if anyone's listening that has kids, there is a book called how to raise intuitive eaters. Um, and that's brand new that just came out from literally colleagues and it's really great because they're, they specialize more in like the kids side of intuitive eating and there's another, there's an Instagram account. It's kids eat in color, I believe. And there's periods in between some of those words, but she's amazing at explaining like how to talk to your kids about food, how to introduce food. Even if you have picky eaters of how to, you know, get them to eat some more food in a way that actually usually works with kids and how to just mm. talk to them about food so that, mm. you know, you'll be, you tend to be really surprised because kids are really intuitive so you'll be surprised. Like I had a, a little boy I worked with who was, who was struggling with kind of binge eating and his parents were really restrictive with food. And he was in, with, even within the first 10 minutes of our first session of him being like, I know you think that if I had the choice between an apple and a cookie, I'd always pick the cookies, but sometimes I really do want an apple. And so I think creating that environment for kids to pick and choose and learn how foods make them feel or help them learn those things. of like, yeah, when I eat, you know, an apple with some peanut butter as a snack versus maybe eating some cookies as a snack. I, you know, I have more energy or I could think better or, you know, I don't crash of being able to help kids learn those things. And then they, they end up picking, usually end up picking, picking foods. I've had um, one of my clients, her, one of her sons is really, is pretty intuitive. And he was like, he was in like had a bunch of candy once in his bag. And she's like, I thought he'd eat it all. And he's like, I didn't really want it because I want to be able to pay attention in my class and I knew it wouldn't, wouldn't help with that after lunch. And so it's pretty, it's, it's pretty amazing. Kids can they absorb a lot. They're sponges. They absorb yeah. so much information. So when we can, I think, help them foster that relationship of, of listening better to their bodies, um, mm-hmm. it becomes easier for them. So I really appreciate you answering. And I do think that this is so valuable for my listeners because I think my, well, my theory is that like so much of this is passed down from generation mm-hmm. to generation yeah. and so many of my listeners are kind of in uh, the middle where I am, where it's like, I have my parents, you know, lovely humans who are still alive, who are still restricting themselves eating, yeah. you know? And then I have me who's like trying to navigate unlearning that and moving into a much more intuitive way of eating and then like raising humans with the, 
with all of like the mindset drama from my parents. Like, it's just like yeah. learning how to do this is it, it's so all consuming. And I'm yeah. so glad that you are out there working with people on this because I literally do not know how we would learn. Like how yeah. does someone just deprogram themselves from everything that their parents have taught? Right. Yeah. And and their parents before them. Like I yeah. just really think it's a generational thing. Is that something that you see? Yes, definitely. Especially like I said, I have clients who's like I they've gone to started going to Weight Watchers with their mom at like ten or twelve years old. And, you know, and their grandma might have even gone or, you know, it's just like, it, right. it very much is like, oh, my grandma or my mom is always dieting or always doing mm-hmm. something. And, and it does get passed down or just you even seeing your parents doing certain things, even if they're like, oh, I have people will be like, yeah, I don't really talk to my kids about, about like dieting or eating in a certain way, but their behaviors are very much I'm like, well, you're, they can see what you're doing or, yeah. you know or how you're eating or what you're not eating kind of thing and be able to make those, those connections. So. Amazing. If someone is struggling with binge eating, what is the best way for them to begin the process of doing it less? Yes. One thing is one piece is removing the restriction or if you are dieting of to work on maybe giving yourself the permission to quit dieting or restricting, which can feel really scary. And so I think that can be a place where if that does feel daunting or overwhelming, considering working with a dietitian, I think it's very helpful for people who have ADHD to find a dietitian who does understand ADHD so that they can kind of work on the other pieces that might be contributing to to binge eating that aren't necessarily, I'm trying to control my weight of understanding those things. And I think the other piece is just understanding what your triggers are for binge eating, Mm -hmm. whether that's waiting too long to eat, forgetting, you know, getting hyper-focused, or maybe it is to regulate emotions or to get stimulation and being able to figure out what those things are. And then I would say the last Mm -hmm. piece is just making sure that you are eating or trying to eat enough and eat consistently throughout the day, especially if you find that the evening time is when you struggle the most with binge eating of making sure that you're kind of shifting that our cycle of eating a little bit. Mm-hmm. And again, if that is something that's overwhelming or feels daunting to figure out how to do, I think that can be another place where working with someone can be really helpful just because I think, especially if you have someone who understands ADHD, I find a lot of my clients, there's not necessarily a knowledge deficit when it comes to eating and nutrition. It's the how piece. And so I yeah. think having someone who can understand, actually understands ADHD so they can help you work through the how is really helpful yeah. because it's a lot of times it's like, here, just follow this meal plan from, you know, some dietitian would be like, here, just do this. And they're like, yeah, but you don't like, how do I grocery shop? <laughs> or <laughs> how do I, you know, how do I figure out what I need or find the time to cook? Or how do I actually make this meal or remember what's in my fridge? So I think being able to work with someone who gets those things. So it's not just like, oh, she's, he or she's not trying or they're not trying because sometimes that's how it might get looked at a lot of times mm-hmm. in eating disorder treatment or you know programs a lot of people with ADHD get looked at as quote-unquote like non-compliant which I hate because it's not that you're non-compliant it's usually that 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 whoever is working with you doesn't understand how ADHD is playing a role they're like you're not following the meal plan they're like well and maybe the recipes that you're giving are too complicated or you're expecting them to do something that they can't 
they don't have the executive function to do. And so I think having someone who can meet you where you're at and work with you and figure out what works for you um, is really helpful because then it it removes that. Like that, I think, is usually the biggest piece is like, how do I do this? Or, you know, like. Totally. And that's such an ADHD thing, right? It's like, it's not not knowing what to do. It's just not being able to do the thing that you already know that you should be doing. Yes. Yeah. And so I think, especially with nutrition, it's like, okay, or eating, it's like, okay, I know what I like should ideally be doing, but maybe it is I need to make some adjustments or, mm-hmm. you know, tweak things to make it feel doable for me. So, yeah. You're totally killing it. You know that, right? <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. So, Becca, I love the work that you're doing. How can my listeners find you? If they're resonating with what you're saying and they need help, how can how can they reach out to you? Yes. I am most active on Instagram, so you can find me at ADHD.nutritionist. If you're interested in actually working with me, there is a link in my bio on Instagram, and you can set up a free 30-minute call to learn about my small group coaching program and see if we're a good fit to work together. And in trade she fashion, I have a website that is in the midst of being being finished. So <laughs> one day there will be a website. <laughs> I love it. That's so great. And we'll link all of this in the in the show notes. I just appreciate you so much. This conversation has been so helpful yeah. to me and so enlightening. And I know it's going to help a lot of people. So thank you so yes. much for being here. Yes. Thank you so much for creating space for this because I know. I know there's a lot of ADHDers who struggle with their relationship with food. And if that is you and you're listening, please know like you're not alone and in that struggle and that there are resources out there to help you. Hey, ADHDer, I see you. I know exactly what it's like to feel lost, confused, frustrated, and like no one out there really understands the way that your brain works. That's why I created Focus. Focused is my monthly coaching program where I lead you through a step-by-step process of understanding yourself, feeling better, and creating the life that you know you're meant for. You'll study, be coached, grow, and make amazing changes alongside of other educated professional adults with ADHD from all over the world. Visit IHaveADHD.com slash focused to learn more.